Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's 100 acquisition of green beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kierkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And particularly, alcohol-free beer this week, as I chat with Ben Holdstock, co-founder and head of product with Heaps Normal. Regular listeners will know that I have a fascination with the alcohol-free beer category, trying to understand what it is, what its potential is, and what it means for the broader beer world. Well, 2021 has been a year that has seen unprecedented media coverage of the alcohol-free sector. And Heaps Normal has been at the forefront of that attention. The brand has certainly won plenty of accolades for the quality of its beer, but as we know, the liquid, as the marketers like to call it, is only one part of the equation. Heaps Normal has certainly capitalised on the media's interest and the retailer rush to embrace the category. With Heaps Normal successfully completing a Series A funding round and raising $8.5 million on a valuation of more than $50 million, I wanted to catch up with Ben to find out a little bit more about where he saw the alcohol-free market going and whether the growth and the hype can continue, and also why they went with a traditional funding model rather than considering crowdsource funding, which is increasingly common for ventures of their scale. We discuss who is drinking alcohol-free beer and why, will the emerging generation of adults who have not developed a taste for regular beer on any level embrace alcohol-free beer, and just how big the market can grow to be, amongst plenty of other topics. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Ben Holstock, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Stoked to be here. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Uh, you know, even before we start talking about beer and alcohol-free beer and equity uh, crowdfunding or, or equity funding, tell us a little bit about who is Ben Holstock. Yeah, so I... Uh... I sort of got into the home brewing whilst I was at uni and sort of fell in love straight away with the whole the whole process and the sort of transformation of all these materials into such an awesome product that you know everyone enjoys. That was that was super fun. And then after that, um, decided to sort of dive into into the uh, into it as a career and, and volunteered at a couple of breweries and was sort of lucky enough to get get a job at the Four Pines Brewery when they first opened their Brookvale Production Brewery, which was really awesome to to be there sort of from from the start whilst they were in the early days of building that that brewery had you just gone straight from home brewing to getting a job on the the, the bottling line or something like that and learning or had you done a little bit of study to increase your skills in between yeah i did i went back and did the um the ballarat course which was ah uh, okay yeah back back in 2012 i think i did that um yeah that was i found really really helpful in instead of just understanding the theory behind what was going on day to day in the brewery you know so what was it about homebrewing? It's a question I ask everyone because it's such a common experience to go through university and do the homebrewing. Were you doing the Cooper's kits? You know, were you chasing the 25 cent stubby or were you interested in the science and the chemistry behind it and the magic of fermentation? I did one Cooper's kit, um, probably because I was like, oh, we could make a lot of beer for really cheap. But as soon as I, <laughs> as soon as I did the one kit, I was like, oh, this is actually really, really interesting. And I was like, there's got to be more to it than just, you know, this, this syrup that you mix with water. And then the more I sort of read into it, um, you know, learning about all grain brewing and mashing and stuff, I was like, wow, this, there's a lot to this. It's super interesting. And the science just immediately sort of, I sort of, so sort of became addicted to it, trying to learn everything I could about it and still learning now. <laughs> you never stop. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your like I was a humanities student at mm -hmm. uh, at, at high school so science my brain's just not wired that way so were, were you more of the science maths um student or yeah I actually I started university doing a science degree and and sort of dropped out after one year thinking that you know oh, this is not going to get me anywhere it's really boring and transferred <laughs> to a humanities 
course as well and ended up getting like a philosophy degree. So that's when I sort of started homebrewing whilst, whilst completing that philosophy degree. Okay. Because I had a year of it, I guess it sort of became a little bit natural. Um, it wasn't super foreign. So why the philosophy degree? <laughs> um, was, was it just, I, I need to study something and hey. No, I, I, love, I just, I loved it, to be honest. I, th- I found it so interesting um, thinking about, you know, reasoning and, and critical thinking about, about everything about the world and, and humanity and stuff. So, yeah, it was, I loved that degree, but I never uh, obviously pursued it professionally at all well that's the other thing what does what does a uh, philosophy degree lead to yeah maybe an academic <laughs> <laughs> so you never finished oh no i did i finished it but um okay but by the end of it i was already sort of homebrewing and trying to um trying to sort of get into brewing and so you ended up going back to the science after all Straight away, like, yeah, the very next semester, I was like, I'm going straight back to Ballarat Uni <laughs> to do the <laughs> diploma in brewing. So how long were you with Four Pines? Um, I was there for the first first two years of that of that um, Brook Rail Brewery, and then I moved down to, well, I moved to Young Henry's where I worked for, like, a number of years, um, eventually becoming the head brewer there. Okay, yeah, because that's where I think that's where I first uh, came across your name. Mm. Um, in fact, I was just speaking to Richard five minutes ago, so uh, I should have uh, said good day for you. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I saw him last week. Tell us how you went from that to you know what was your interest, what was the connection that led to Heaps Normal? Yeah, it's a long story, I guess. So when when We've got uh, a long podcast, yeah, when <laughs> when Andy and I first started talking about Heaps Normal. I'd already left Young Henry's by that point. Uh, I'd sort of taken a little bit of a break from from brewing. I'd, I'd gone to Europe for six months. I'd come back and I was sort of doing some casual works, casual work at a couple of breweries in Sydney just to sort of, um, you know, get my head back into the game. And Andy, who who I'd known whilst known from working at Young Henry's, sort of reached out and came, you know, presented the idea of a of brewing a non act beer. And it sort of I, th- I thought about it and. I was like, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard. Like, I'm not sure even how you do it, <laughs> to, 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 to be honest. But, um, yeah, I guess we, we started talking about the idea. And then over a couple of months, the more we spoke, the more I sort of thought this is it's a cool idea to start, like, from a technical point of view, from a brewing perspective, try and make an alcohol-free beer that actually tastes like a, a normal craft beer that people would want to enjoy, like a, that a beer drinker would actually like, um, including myself, you know, like that was a sort of a big motivation. But also... I guess the cultural um, impact of it was super interesting to me. And I guess after working for the best part of a decade in brewing and sort of just being around beer every day, I sort of, I sort of wanted to do something that, that had a slightly positive, um, you know, slightly positive sort of element to it, something that could, could really help people that if they needed it. So that, that was mm. a motivating factor for me. So when would this have been uh, that, that these ideas were all formulating and that uh, Andy got in touch? Yeah, this is in 2018. So sort of two years before we actually launched. And then, yeah, from 2019, things started, we sort of got a bit more serious. Um, I met Pete, who's the other co-founder. We basically, from that point onwards, we, we sort of, you know, formalized the, the brand and everything and, and then just went for it. And I started developing the product, um, just, just homebrewing mm-hmm. about six months. And during that whole time, yeah, we were working on the brand, thinking about thinking about the brand and the and the product and everything from the from then. It's one of the things that fascinates me about the alcohol free space is I hear from a lot of brewers, and it's generally fairly quiet. Um, you know, if you're still making alcoholic versions of of beer, um, there is a little bit of a self awareness or a self concern about making a product that can enrich our lives but can also have a, a very negative impact on on people's lives mm. and i think a lot of the people in the industry because we're always exposed to it and there's an expectation that we're drinking we feel it as much as anybody on, on a lot of a lot of occasions but at the same time it's not that there weren't wasn't a shortage of alcohol-free options <laughs> um, already. So, what what was the insight that you know either led Andy or you know, Andy and yourself and Andy and yourself and Pete to think that alcohol-free beer had legs to you know worth worth backing? Yeah, um, the big insight from from us 
that we sort of talked a lot about was making an alcoholic alcohol alcohol free beer that tasted like a a normal beer, but also mm. as a brand, us not sort of banging on about being alcohol free, us not sort of really pushing an agenda of sobriety on people because none of us are actually sober. We all still really enjoy enjoy, enjoy drinking beer, and I think mm. there's lots of positive uh, things that you know out the, the drink the beer culture sort of brings to people's lives. But there is, as you touched on, you know, for some people it can be negative. So really, what we want to do was to to sort of create a brand and a beer that that resonated with with beer drinkers firstly that they could feel comfortable you know drinking and ordering and and still sort of partaking in the things they they enjoy but if they if they want to try and drink a bit less and that option was there and it was a, it was like a real option not just sort of you know a soda water or or a beer that was alcohol free but wouldn't be something that they'd want to drink in the first place yep yeah and so you know being a brewer and a craft brewer um, that was super important to me to make something that I'd actually want to drink myself and would happily have a couple. Yeah. And, and undoubtedly the, the quality of the, the product and you, you've, you've won so many awards. Um, you, you, you certainly, the, the, the quality of the beer is there and it doesn't have that sort of slightly worthy flavor that yeah. the, the beers always had or the cooked or any, any of those flavors. It's, it's, it's a beer that you can actually enjoy as a beer. Well, I still, and again, well, yeah, no, congrats. I mean, I don't think anyone would uh, disagree with that. And the num- whenever we've talked about it, it's been something that we've kept a very close watch on over the last 12, 18 months, two years on, on, on the podcast and on the site. Because on one hand, there's been so much noise about alcohol-free beer because it is new and it is exciting and there's a lot of hype about it. We've been looking to see what its uptake and, 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 and reach is outside of that little... Uh, hype bubble um of 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 the the novelty of it Mm. and i guess we we were to be perfectly honest it's taken us by surprise as well the uptake of the of our of our product Mm. you know in the last even in the last six months like alcohol free beer generally i think is alcohol free products have really sort of exploded um there's heaps of other great beers out there i think that are other great brewers that are producing some good alcohol free beers um yeah, it's, it's it's almost like people didn't know they wanted it or something. Can you talk about growth? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think we've spoken about it pretty pretty openly that we we basically couldn't make enough for all of last year. You know, part of this capital raise that you you, you touched on was is to sort of you know secure some production volume, like and enough production volume to grow the business and expand the business. Mm. Was that you weren't able to make enough contract brewing because you, you, you contract um, at the moment? Yeah, we contract brew at the moment at uh, Brick Lane in Dandenong, which is yep. awesome. It's such a great brewery and the guys there um, are really great to work with. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, contract brewing has got its own challenges. And, um, yeah, in terms of volume, we, we were essentially doubling our, our production every month. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. This is where it does get hard because it's um, one of the things I've been looking at is there has been so much mainstream media, like not even mm. beer-centric media. It's been mainstream media coverage of alcohol-free beer. And there's mm. there's so little data um, available as to, you know, you've got Dan Murphy saying it, the category grew at 100, 150, 200%. Yeah. Um, and, but it's always off the small base and you know that it's off a small base and it's, it's trying to get some meaningful scale to the industry and, you know, whether it's new customers going to trial it from the, I I don't remember any product in, in, in the the, the beer space that has had as much, um, you know, media attention for it, which is going to create consumer interest and, you know, either the people who, are seeking out an alcohol-free option or the people who are just going, oh, this can't taste any good, I'll give it a trial. Um, do, do you know how many people are, you know, or how, many, how much of your sales is you know, as, as trials or how much of it is repeat customers, uh, for example, to sort of get some idea of the legs of, of, of the product? I mean, I'd have to really dig into sort of the sales data, but there, yeah. there's definitely repeat customers, um, at least if we're talking about, um, you know, wholesale customers that are that are venues and, and stuff that buy every mm. week, um, which is really great. Um, 
And I think there's, yeah, there's definitely an element of, you know, people like talking about the media and stuff like it's, uh, I think it's like, cause we have had, we've been really lucky to have a lot of press. Um, and I'm not, you know, it's still a bit of a novelty. So people writing about, about alcohol mm. free beer and the, as you said, the rapid growth, although even though it's coming from a small base, so, you know, to say it's grown by 150%, if it's only, you know, you know, tens of thousands of liters, it's not, not a giant amount of volume, but, um, yeah, I think people, I think there is a bit of a shift, right? A cultural shift. So people are, are super interested to hear about the growth of alcohol free products. Um, mm. maybe, maybe in part why, why people have sort of reached out to us for, for, uh, for, for media. And a hundred percent. And I, I guess, again, as a, as a journalist, um, yeah. who, you know, who, who knows the sort of dark secrets of, um, you know, how, how the media works and you know that, a lot of the time you're just writing, you know, news is often a product and if you know it's going to be consumed, mm. you'll write about it, um, which sometimes can distort um, the importance uh, of, of, of a story. You know, if, if everyone wants to read about it, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but my Facebook feed and my uh, news feed is filled with, um, I, I like the Beatles, there's a new Beatles thing out and everyone is looking for an angle on the same thing. Um, which gives you an idea of its cultural impact, but then you also know that it's being, you know, targeting a market and trying to carve out an element of that market. And as I've as I've watched the um, media attention that alcohol free has been given, there has been that little bit of a look at this strange little thing over here that we'll write about that will people. But it hasn't, you know, I haven't seen too many probing questions asked or anything like that. It's it's, it's, it's very high level stuff, which always is a, is a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a question in my mind for me, um, whether is it driving trial or is it being, you know, and, and, and the novelty um, of, of the stories is actually driving trial or was there this pent up demand where people going, gee, I, I love this beer. I just wish they'd take the alcohol out of it because I'd always felt that, you know, as I said at the beginning, there were things if you didn't want to drink that you could drink if you didn't want the alcohol. I'm sitting here, you know, again, uh, drinking water um, mm. because it's hydrate, mm. don't want the calories, and, mm. and, and water's a great thing. Probably wouldn't stand in a bar <laughs> drinking water. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it definitely drives trial. We can see that um, when when something is written that, you know, our online store sort of, gets overrun for that weekend but then then it sort of drops back off to normal and i think yeah i think it's probably a bit of both right repeat purchases plus those those articles driving driving trial and i think you know they, they sort of spark a little bit of interest in in people wanting to see what see what it's about and hopefully yeah. there that they, they sort of once they taste the product and engage with it they can sort of understand what we're about and perhaps um you know continue to, to continue to drink it mm working in this space i ask a lot of questions i can't go to a bottle shop without um annoying the person asking questions oh who's buying this and and you're hearing a lot of similar stories where you know they'll buy a six pack of their favorite full strength beer and then a six pack of their alcohol free beer if they're going off to a party um so they can have the, the full strength um one when they start and sort of wedge in depending on how they're feeling still be seen to be drinking beer and participating in in, in the social aspect without actually getting the negative impacts of alcohol. And I completely see that use case. Do you hear other you know, reports of people using it in other ways that they go to a party and only drink alcohol-free beer, for example? Or Yeah, I think that, that use case what you, that you just mentioned, that's sort of, that's how I, that's how I sort of approach it as well. And, I, and that's sort of how I recommend it as well, because I think as a beer drinker, it's the most, it's sort of the most approachable thing, right? You, you enjoy beer and you want to have a couple, but you don't, you might want to wake up the next day and do do other stuff and not be t completely written off. So, so sort of if you do the one for one, then you've you've still you've still sort of done everything you wanted to do on the night, and then, but you've ended up drinking half as much, which is sort of a win win for me. Um, but yeah, I think there is we've we've been really equally surprised that there's people that have you know buy it by the case and drink it drink it every day or drink it at a party or a couple of um you know people that can't drink anymore for whatever reason health reasons that but still yep. have a lot of their social um you know their social 
outlet is at the pub and they need to go there for that's that's where they see their friends so sitting at the pub drinking heaps normal exclusively works for some people yeah so we've seen like Heineken and uh, Carlton, um, you know, talk about you can sit at your desk and mm. drink a beer. Do, do you hear, like, is your feeling or, you know, is, is your data showing that people are actually doing that? Yeah, a little bit. We we do supply to a few offices, which is pretty cool. Um, yep. Have sort of daytime office beers, if you like. But we've never sort of pushed that. Like, I think first and foremost, we, like I sort of said, we, we sort of want it to be drunk where you drink a normal beer, you know, if it's at the pub or a barbecue or, you know, after, you know, after work or whatever. Although uh, people are drinking it in, in some weird circumstances, I think um, it's probably not what, it's not our sort of main main agenda. Well, that, that's the thing because I get the, I have the, I think they call it the nocebo effect where it, even yeah. if I have an alcohol-free version, it my body is still conditioned, you know, it's, it's almost as if, even though the alcohol isn't being ingested, my body is still releasing the same um, dopamine and things. So, so you get that feeling of which is actually counterproductive to work. I mean, I'm obviously still coordinated. I'm not falling down the stairs, but it's distracting. I, think, I, know, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I, th- I think, you know, especially for people that are accustomed to, to drinking, as soon as you have a, a taste of beer on your lips, you sort of, your body thinks maybe there's a, there's a big behavioral um thing going on there that you're drinking and i don't know i, I have i know i get the same thing i kind of like it it's like oh i feel like i'm i'm drinking but i'm not <laughs> because it's still that same feeling of exhilaration and exuberance mm. um and I, I, I spoke to um there's a fascinating professor in the uk um called professor dunbar who talks about the role that alcohol plays in socialization and you do when you have um a beer um, or, or any alcohol in small amounts, you do get a release of the feel-good chemicals that your body makes. Um, mm. So it, it does. There does seem to be a Pavlovian response. So, I mean, there's that association there, isn't there, between having fun yeah. and drinking? <laughs> exactly. Which uh, again, so you can get up in karaoke and uh, <laughs> just not fall off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on on, on that. Does that then limit the market if, you know, if people aren't, you know, having it instead of soft drink, for example, that, you know, um, and, and as just as a, as, as a quencher, they are just limiting themselves to that um, adult time? Yeah, it's an interesting question, actually. I mean, I think we've sort of had enough, at least anecdotal stories, that there's lots of different people drinking heaps normal and other alcohol-free beers in, in, in different ways, I think. It's not just the the replacement, not a substitute mm. for for a, for a normal beer. Um, it's not it's not like well, I hope I'm being optimistic here. It's not like you know the the Coke Zero and then Coke's the real deal. Um, yep, kind of is in a way. But I think the people that drink Coke Zero or whatever don't might never drink a, a normal Coke, right? Whereas we, we're hoping that people that drink heaps normal will still drink um other other beers or wines or whatever they mm. like um at different points you know does that make sense yeah no it, it absolutely does make sense it's, it's the, the the same thing with caffeine mm. in coffee and things like that you know uh i drink coffee because i want the caffeine if i don't want the caffeine mm. i'll drink something else and to some extent that's why i'm for beer and that's where you know again um Obviously, you're confident enough uh, in 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 the story of alcohol-free beer to have uh, launched a business around it, which is why I'm uh, fascinated in, in in your thinking about it. A lot of the time, early on at least, people would ask, "What's the point of it?" And it's a hard question to answer because most people see, you know, if if they don't want to drink alcohol, they'll drink water, which is hard to argue against. Water is really healthy <laughs> and it's good for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you drink, but um, I guess, yeah, I think what we sort of learned was that if if you didn't have that association of uh, beer is, you know, beer is for drinking at the pub or and I'm only drinking mm. beer to get drunk, then it's still a nice drink in itself. And there's, I guess, plenty of times where a beer is actually a suitable drink to, and most especially in social settings, you know, when other people are drinking. A hundred percent. And that's, uh, which uh, is a nice um, intro to another element that I wonder about it because, you know, I, I remember 
you know, as, as, a, as a young bloke, dad sending off to the fridge to pour him his beer and getting to have a bit of a sip on the top. And, you know, on one hand, it was the ritual that you loved because it was bonding with your dad mm. um, or bonding with your mum. But then I also, you know, had to force myself to drink it, which was part of the ritual. But I didn't enjoy, you know, like at, at, at you know, 10, 11, 12, you think, how does he drink this smoke? Yeah. And it's only when you get older and you discover the joy of the alcohol for a long time, and I think that might be lessening, it's the it's the form of alcohol that men, young men, consume. If you take the alcohol out, is there still the incentive for people to overcome that aversion to bitterness and some of the flavours of beer um, for them to develop the, the, the taste for it? Mm. Yeah, so super interesting. I think the more I thought about it, the less I came to the conclusion that I drank, I liked beer because it was alcoholic, but that I liked the taste. And, you know, there's, I think if people were just drinking beer for alcohol, we probably wouldn't be drinking craft beer at all. We'd be drinking the cheapest stuff we could get, you know. Oh, well, then you could argue against Crown Lager. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, you know, I, I think once we've made a choice, then there's a whole range of other consumer decisions we make about identifying ourselves to, you know, signaling uh, the, the, those around us. Of course, that sort of comes into play. But I just, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, it's yeah. also personal, I guess, um, why we're doing it. But just to touch on what you were saying, I think, yeah, at the moment, it's it's definitely sort of has that image, right, of, of being a male drink. But I, I think that's changing. There, I only cave out my own thing. I think you know, I'm 52, so I had a different generation. If you do go to craft beer pubs and craft beer bars yeah. these days, there is a very different generation. But at the same time, there there is a resistance for a lot of people. Anything with bitterness in. Um, there, there needs to be a cultural conditioning or a a, a reason for them to overcome that and develop their taste for the product um and in a lot of ways that was the alcohol in beer i think yeah okay interesting one yeah i I, I mean i agree that i think the culturally it's changing and we see plenty of women sort of drinking alcohol Mm. plus plus all all craft i think craft beer has sort of helped that along for a long time um becoming beer becoming a bit more inclusive as a product 100 percent, yeah and uh you know it's great to see so um, but clearly, um, not only have you been successful uh, with the quality, you've been successful in the sales. It's growing, as you say, and you've also just taken on an $8.5 million investment that values the business at $50 million from memory. Yeah, that's correct. 58 post money valuation. Pretty crazy. Okay. Tell me about that because we are seeing, again, it's very hard to put you in the pantheon of craft breweries. But for mm. example, we saw a, um, you know, a, a reasonably well-established but very small craft brewery making 300,000 litres this year, um, you know, value itself at 15 million litres. Um, mm. And then we've seen Stone and Wood um, that makes 200 million, oh, sorry, mm. uh, 20 million litres approximately valued at $500 million. So it's just trying to work out yeah. where your valuations sit in that continuum. The valuation thing is... Is pretty weird to me still. It seems, you know, somewhat arbitrary. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, I mean, the, our valuation, I guess, was based on our forward revenue and our, our ambitious forecast in, for what we wanted yep. to do, is to sort of, um, and, and the whole reason we did that that funding round was to, to as I said, scale the business, but also mm. to build, build a brewery um, and, you know, bring, bring production in-house, develop more, more beer, beer styles collaboration beers limited releases and so it's a super exciting opportunity for me being able to sort of design build build a brewery and and grow the range of beers that we're making one of the things that interested me about that and i'll get myself into trouble here Uh but actually going to professional investors um, rather than crowdsource we've seen a lot of small craft breweries go crowdsource funding which very much targets the enthusiasm of the best customers you know to 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 get involved and you build your community and things like that which is uh, again fantastic it's a really good way for um businesses to capitalize in in that space but there's also also an element of thinking small to me in those you know that um 
you're getting well over the odds for what your business is worth, but then it's also limiting it, you know, your, your appeal to, 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 to that audience. But you guys actually went to professional investors. Can you talk me through whether you ever considered doing CSF or uh, other? Uh, no, we didn't. We, we, we talked about it very briefly um, in relation to the brewery. But the, yeah, the reason we sort of didn't is from, from day one of approach the business, at least try to from a from in the most progressive way we can um, and a big part in our sort of the whole investment piece was going through the Startmate um, accelerator, which is traditionally a tech uh, startup um, program designed to sort of grow businesses. And, and our thinking has always been to think, think really big and, and challenge the sort of accepted, accepted ways that other breweries have, you know, done things. I mean, I'm not saying we're, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're, we're, we're essentially doing the same thing, but we, we are trying to, to push ourselves as well. So the reason we, we, we sort of went with private equity was so that knowing like down the track to build a brewery, those same people are going to have to sort of contribute to the, to the, to ladder, ladder funding rounds and also to the brand itself and actually have a strategic play in, in growing our business. Um, whereas, you know, crowdfunding is like, it's pretty cool because you get a great community of really, really diehard fans. But um, I think that might be sort of the, ex- and, and get money, but that's sort of the extent of it. And maybe mm-hmm. money, money is not, not equal, right? Like, some money's worth more than other money, maybe. I don't know. I guess the, the the flip side is that having a lot of very small stake investors gives them a lot less control and ability to pressure the business down the track, which is one of the other things I hear very quietly said uh, about it. Whereas if you take a small number of you know professional investors who are probably looking a little bit at the return that they get um, down the track, potentially, you know, puts pressure on your plans and changes your plans um, if, if you're not aligned. Yeah, for sure. I think like I know exactly what you're saying. I think we, we have been pretty lucky in that the people that, that have invested in Heaps Normal are kind of really believe in what we're doing and, and you know, they haven't sort of exerted any any demands like that over us yet. So um, are you saying that might be why some people are slightly adverse to, to the private equity side of things um i would would you you sort of again you you never know the inside story of any business you just sort of see things and hear things and Mm. you know for example one of the things about stone and wood selling you know when it was so proudly independent Mm. was there were a group of professional investors who probably weren't as invested in the story and then Mm. you know needed a liquidity event for to keep all the partners happy and uh, a, a business that was so strongly independent is suddenly owned by Lime. And I guess that's one of the things I've had uh, small businesses say about, you know, if you've got 2,000 investors with a very, you know, small stake. They can't, they can't exert the, any control, yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess what is, what is the vision for Heaps Normal? You know, are you looking at being the Coopers of alcohol-free beer and have five generations of uh, you, Andy, and Peter? Or, you know, <laughs> is it um, a, uh, you know, something that you go, well, look, this is us now, but at some later stage, we may be valuable to, to, to somebody to come and buy us. Our sort of mission is to change drinking culture. And at the moment, we're, we haven't sort of made the business, built the business and structured it in a way to sort of sell it or anything like that. Mm. Um, and we, you know, like I said, we're building a brewery. We're sort of putting down roots um, with the idea that this is, this is a long-term play for all three of us. But yeah, I mean, it's impossible to say like what, what, what will happen, right? Like, I'd never rule anything out because you don't know you don't know what your situation will be, and also for us, I think it's more about the goals of the business. Um, and if I, I know that's probably close to what Stone and Wood sort of said too, but <laughs> the goals of our business is to is to change drinking culture. And if if there's a way that we can do that more effectively, then we'll, we'll probably do it. But I mean, personally, I, I'm I think I I'll, I'll probably always want to work for Heaps Normal now, and um, yeah. Keep, keep keep sort of doing exactly what we're doing now. Uh, and look again, none of that was uh, designed to, to to lead anywhere. Because oh, I'm no, just no, uh, looking at your, your your website, and I think um, it's certainly not emblazoned with uh, indie logos. Uh, and I, I can't see your packaging here, but it, if 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 it's on, it's very discreet. So, it, it for example, independence. 
Yeah, it, it is. So you, yeah, okay. So uh, it's, it's obviously fairly discreetly, and it's not the it, 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 it's not the um, highlight well, of the heaps normal story, for example. No, no, it's not. I mean, it's important to us um, to be uh, to be you know members of the IBA and to sort of fly that flag. Um, and we we do sort of talk talk about ourselves as an independent, non out brewery. We we've sort of said that from day one. In fact, we actually tried to join the IBA from day one. They wouldn't let us because we we're out free, um, and so we, we we joined last year. Um, oh, really? So so you didn't class as beer for them, or they, it took them a while to? Yeah, I'm not sure why they why they didn't actually allow that, but it's changed now, so it's all good. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a funny one. It shows how new the category is. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. We haven't sort of. That's not our main. That's not our main agenda. We, we we're already weird enough being out free. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I had not seen it before, but I've just as, as I was sort of looking on your website, uh, I, I love this t-shirt. I'm going to buy one uh-huh. uh, off the waters. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Oh. One of our listeners can email in, and you can send them one if you want to do that. I'll, I, I like to buy mine, yeah, no um, but if, you, if you're happy to, uh, if you've got budget for one, we'll. Uh, yeah. uh, there, there you go, listeners. Email uh, off the waters at brewsnews.com.au and uh, uh, and your size. And we'll pass it on to yeah. Ben and, uh, to, to send it out because it's a, it's a very 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 cool shirt. Yeah, um, it's, it's a funny sort of um, bit of a tongue in cheek approach to to sort of you know when when someone says they're off the beers, and they, yeah, they we're sort of. We, we sort of say we're off the waters, but we're still drinking beers. But again, and look, there is a genius in in, in that slogan because it, it does capture exactly what you're saying. So, uh, which is why it sort of uh, leapt out at me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and this is potentially a huge question. What's driving the sober curious trend? Um, do you think is it generational? Is it you know? Are, are you seeing? 50, 60-year-olds who just don't like waking up dodgy the next morning? Is it a new generation who just doesn't have the same relationship as alcohol as, as they had? Do, do, do you have any thoughts about um, from, from the people that come up to you and tell you their stories? Yeah, um, definitely a big question. Uh, generation, a generational sort of shift is, is definitely part of it. I think younger people, um, and by that I sort of mean people maybe, you know, 25 and younger in inherently sort of understand it better than even my generation do i'm 36 so like Mm. my friends are probably the hardest people to convert except for except for maybe people in there who are who are like my parents age who was that sort of like what's the point approach but uh, (laughs) yeah well but then again they were the same people who like forex gold um which was the biggest mid-strength beer um I, I, i'm old enough to remember when that was first launched in 92 yeah. and there was the same mindset it's it's like why don't you just take a deep breath yeah. um, kind of thing but it's the biggest well it nearly became the biggest selling beer before great northern came along yeah younger people just find i think they're just a little more flexible they're not they're not hung up on on some of the sort of ideas that maybe we are about what a beer should be and and i think they're also more health health conscious um, mm. than, than we probably were at that age. Um, well, again, the, the, the Bruce's team isn't like we're a very small team, so it's not a great um, cross section of society, but we do have two young women. My daughter, who grew up with a dad who drank beer, she doesn't drink beer and she doesn't drink much alcohol, but consequently doesn't have the, 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 the taste for beer despite being always surrounded. It. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Vivian, who does drink very lightly and, uh, but doesn't drink beer either. So it's kind of like they're right in that demographic, but they haven't acquired that taste for beer, which is one of the reasons I keep coming back to that. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really good point. The product is was designed for people who drank beer. And so people who mm. don't drink beer but want to drink, don't want to drink, what are they going to drink? Maybe they're not going to even go near it. Um, well, um, the alcohol-free seltzer, but isn't that soft drink? But yeah, I think that's probably just an inherent challenge of, of – uh, of the product, right? Like if you don't like the taste of beer, you're probably not going to like it. It is a beer, yeah. you know, um, you might try it. You might give it a go because you, <clears throat> you don't want to drink, but you might not come back. Yeah. 
I'm interested you've come back a couple of times to say, to point out that you guys aren't sober, um, that you're not zealots, you're, like you're, you're not preaching the vegan message, for example. You're just mindful drinking. Um, is that a better way of... Yeah, we've definitely used that word, mindful drinking. Um, I guess it's, it's about consciously thinking about, about your drinking uh, and making a decision around it, whether that's, you know, I'm going to drink seven beers or i'm going to drink two it's um mm. so maybe mindful drinking is an interesting one because it doesn't have to mean less drinking but it's yep. more conscious and like i said our approach is really around tapping into the things that that are important to us so whether that's i mean it can be anything right it's in it's dependent on what you what you're into but ho hopefully um i may should phrase it in that alcohol can sometimes be an obstacle to that because yep. in, you know, prohibit you from doing things because of the way it makes you feel. And yeah, we're, we're sort of about the opposite. Yeah. So what, what are the timelines? You've, you've, you've closed your investment round. You've yep. uh, got some money in the bank. Do you just make a bigger order next time with uh, brick lane or, you know, <laughs> what, what, how are you escalating? Um, yeah. So we're, we're scaling up our production and, and a lot of that, that funding will, will help us do that. But, that's sort of a step-by-step -step process. It's not like, all right, we're going to do 10 times the amount of beer this month. That, that'd be crazy. Um, so yeah, we're slowly going to try and produce, produce more and sell more and sort of grow, grow the brand and, and the category in Australia. And like I said, a big part of that for us is, is building our brewery and pushing, pushing the envelope on, on the types of beers we make and, and the types of, you know, the styles of beer that you can, you can have as an alcohol-free option because, Really, there was only lagers until craft brewers started making alcohol-free beers here. So, yeah. Is there any limit to the styles that can be made alcohol-free, do you think? Yeah, for sure. Like, there were, obviously, the obvious ones are like the, I think, barrel-aged beers would be a big challenge. And also, yep. you know, really big, heavy beers, imperial stouts and wee heavies and stuff like that might be impossible. But, but that's probably it. I think, aside from that, you can, I think, almost brew every style. So what's the time frame for the uh, for for the brewery? Um, well, it's still very much in the air. So hopefully next year okay. we'll, we'll have a have a site secured and and be sort of be building that. So you haven't put the stainless steel order in yet. No, uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of logistics challenges at the moment. So I know that's super exciting though. I mean, I, I'm that's sort of where what my focus will be now, and really keen to dive into that. Is it going to be a purely production brewery or is it going to be a home base tap room, you know, come in and stay sober? Uh, yeah, interesting one. It, it'll be a production facility with a, with a tap room for sure and, and maybe some food, a food offering. But actually, we'll, we'll serve alcoholic beers there as well. Um, okay. Maybe subvert the, 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 uh, the, the standard and have our beers on tap and other people's beers in the fridge. Um, <laughs> so we, we, I mean, we've been, we, we've been so lucky to sort of be supported by lots of the brewers, um, in Sydney and Canberra and Melbourne yep. being their fridges. So we'll, we'll sort of return the, turn that favor and put, put their beers on at our brewery. So, yeah, I mean, more than welcome to come in and have, have as many normal beers as you want, but obviously the, <laughs> main, the main showcase will be, be, be our beers. It's a great point. Do you have any tap points around yeah. the country or is it only packaged yeah only do packaged. you see a future where we will have alcohol free on tap without the, the big guys forcing it on through contracts yeah i reckon eventually um someone will do it for sure it's obviously probably a hard sell for some venues but we, we've got a bunch of venues already asking us for it we haven't done it yet just because there's a few <clears throat> technical challenges to overcome mainly the beer freezing in the in the lines but also because ah, of the, the alcohol of course yeah, yeah. But also that you know that it's it's a bit of a higher risk, right? If there is a contamination in the lines anywhere, and the beer, for whatever reason, could become alcoholic, then it's yep. obviously it's obviously a bit of a risk for us. So yeah, at the moment, no no draft, but we we really want to look into it. That's interesting. So yeah. well, mate, more than anything, congratulations because you know you are almost synonymous with alcohol free. Um, you know, anytime that I, I see it, you know, and the the quality of the the, the beer, judging by the awards, is uh, up there, and certainly to my palate. Um, so congratulations on all you've achieved uh, with heaps normal. Congratulations on the funding round, and looking forward to seeing what twenty twenty two brings. Oh, thanks so much, mate. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. 
And that was Ben Holdstock. If you want to win one of those t-shirts, get off the waters, which as I said, is a really cool idea. Email us at podcast at bruisenews.com.au saying Ben Holdstock in the address line. Thanks for listening to that conversation. Now, here's a little bonus for you. As I hear from Lark Distilling's master distiller, Chris Thompson, who tells me a little bit more about Lark's collaboration with Brewer, Wolf of the Willows. I asked Chris, what is it about this whiskey and beer that really works for him? Firstly, let's start about what's amazing about this collaboration in terms of the liquid. The liquid that we take is completely polar opposite to a Johnny Smoke Porter. So the whiskey component is this bright, fun, fruity, tropical piece, right? And then the beer is like this dark, heavy, velvety, incredibly thick, viscous, you know, it's got bitter and it also has has sweet that play off each other. So that's the beer. And when you bring them together, then what happens is the the whiskey is kind of like a a prism. So you think Pink Floyd for me, you have the prism and the the beer shines through it. But what what it does by adding extra brightness, uh, lift, and alcohol to the beer, it separates the beer out. And then you can see every single component that made that beer. When we're making the whiskey, in our mind, what we're trying to do is showcase the beer in a different way. Now, the Johnny Smoke Port is such a complex and rich beer, but with the alcohol of the, of the whiskey coming through it, then you can see each of those, each of those components. That's the magic of this, this whiskey um, and the magic of the, the collaboration. Like, in all seriousness, being a whiskey nut for 15-plus years now, there is not a single whiskey on the planet that looks like this. It does everything that you would expect a whiskey to do, but in a completely different way. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, like, it's exhilarating. It's exciting like no other whiskey. Yeah, well, it's probably well, it's my favourite whiskey to make every year because of that. So as a distiller with 15 years' experience, what has Chris learned from his experience in partnering with a brewer? Yeah, probably that I'm a bit dumb. So I've, I started off and was like, no, nah, this isn't going to work. There's no chance that I'll, you know, this whole thing. I was so sceptical. And then we went through sort of one. So we sort of take different casks that look a bit different and we mix it with the beer and be like, what does it taste like? Oh, it doesn't taste very good. And we did that about seventh time. Where it was actually the very last whiskey um, sort of representation of the portfolio of what our casks have that we tried that it was like, oh, wow, that's like incredible. We have to do this. And at that point, I don't even think I'd spoken to Scotty. I think um, one of my outsiders, Johnny, had been speaking to, to Scotty about it. And I called Scotty. I was like, we've got to do this thing. I'm excited now. So um, what I learned was that I don't know what I'm talking about, at least five years ago. Don't trust your instincts and try everything. Um, and then from there, there, what we try to do each year is provide the same backbone of flavour um, but do it in a slightly different way. So if Chris was surprised that this collaboration could work, how has that changed over the course of five iterations of this whiskey? You know, Wolf Number 1 was just about um, a pure expression of balance. Wolf Number 2 was um, trying to provide the most of this sort of prism experience with the, the beer shining through and just showcasing. The third one was about excess absolutely there should be too much of everything going on all of the time and was just this outrageous over the top thing the wolf number four which is my favorite it's actually my favorite whiskey um, that we've done in my 15 years so you know 500,000 whiskeys that i've blended um that's my number one i've got three bottles at home and they seem to go it used to be four bottles so it's probably it's probably a pretty good sign wolf number four was to me just this balanced experience that just it just showcased everything that was great in the beer and just it was just a little piece of um, exhilaration. It's just every time I try it, I just can't believe how much is going on in that, uh, how easily you can see every component of the beer but also the whiskey, but it's only flashes really quickly as it moves on to the next experience, I suppose, the next flavour. And then this year, this year is the one with the most beer in it. So usually what would happen is that we'd fill the casks all the way up with the whiskey to soak the beer out. 
but we haven't done that this year. We've actually only sort of 60% filled them. So the ratio of beer to whiskey is way higher. And so this year, the, the beer sits as this kind of solid block within the whiskey and it just showcases it in a completely different way, which is, which is really magical. And then if you add water to the whiskey, which sort of changes the surface tension, then it just erupts and launches out, which is just, yeah, there's no whiskey like it on the planet. And it's just, as you can tell, I get pretty excited. Finally, with so much detail already provided, I asked Chris just how this whiskey is made. In terms of making this thing, there's this like horrific logistics thing that you've got to go through. So we send barrels of whiskey or, or barrels that have held classic cask, which is one of, I think it's the most popular Australian whiskey ever sold, I think. So it's like, it's our one of our flagships and it's just, yeah, if you haven't tried it, definitely try it. It's pretty cool. So these are export and sherry whiskey um, barrels, mostly from Sebelsfield Winery, and mostly the wood for those will be at least 100 years old. So they would have held wine in it, and then they've held fortified either a sherry or a port in it for you know, 60, 70 years, probably refilled a couple of times sort of, you know, through its period. But, yeah, generally, generally around 100-year-old um, in terms of when it was chopped down as a tree. We get those, we fill it full of our whiskey, then we empty our whiskey out, send them straight up to Melbourne to um, to Wolf, to, to Scotty. Scotty puts the beer in it, so it soaks out all this kind of porty, sherry, sweet um, whiskies, um, raises the ABV. But then we have an issue because if, if Scotty just empties the barrels out and then sticks the buns back in and sh- ships them back to us in Tassie, then the chance of oxidisation, the chances of the beer changing in a really negative way, you know, infection as well, are really high. And so the good thing about the product that we make being, you know, 60 plus percent is it freezes that that process. It freezes that, you know, those changes in the barrel. And so, yeah, what we actually do is we ship the whiskey up. So we'll blend the whiskey against what last year's um, beer was, get a pretty good idea of what it should be. And then what we'll do is we'll ship the whiskey up to, to Scotty to put in the beer barrels. And so they'll empty the barrels. And within 20 seconds of that barrel being emptied, there's whiskey going into that barrel. Um, and so you freeze and you capture the pure essence of that amazing beer, which is pain in the ass, to be honest. But it's, a, it's the right thing to do. It's what makes the whiskey so good. So that's a little bit about Lark's Wolf Release 5 launching on August 8th this year. I know I'm looking out for this one. Watch out for a few more chats about beer and whiskey in the coming weeks, including a chat with Scott from Wolf of the Willows. 